Welcome to The Upshot, Multi-World Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, as always, Josh Mansfield. It is Tuesday, March 21st, and we are talking Open at Austin, the third Elite Series event of the year, wrapped up on Sunday, and we get a little bit of a break here, a couple weeks off before our next Elite Series event. We do have Texas State's, a silver event, coming up this weekend. Uh, but some time off before uh, the Nashville Music City Open and then on to Champions Cup, the first major of the year. We're going to talk more about that later this week as we kind of get ready for major time, Josh. You know, it's it's as I've said, I said it last year. I'll say it again. So nice to have a major in the spring. Especially in years like this where Worlds is so late in the year again because it's on the East Coast. Otherwise, I mean, we would be going until European Open would be first major time and then another long break before end of season and then we just cram them all in. So, yeah, man, Champions Cup has been an amazing decision by the PDGA. For the third straight tournament, we have unique winners here in 2023. There has been lots of parity so far this year. Paige Pierce gets the win in FPO. After looking a little lost at Waco, a tournament that she just never really seems to play very well at, big time bounce back and gets the win. And over in MPO, Gannon Burr makes a furious final round charge and takes down the win, shooting 10 under uh, and was just up at the top of the leaderboard the whole weekend long. Really impressive showing from Gannon. And we will talk to him a little bit later in the show. I want to start an MPO, Josh, because we we have not seen this. I mean, it feels like every year we talk about, you know, there's more players in the mix. We could see different people winning any time. We now obviously have three different winners this year. But not only that, of all of the players who have played the first three Elite Series of the year, only two of them have finished in the top 10 all three times. Just two players in the whole field have finished top 10 all three times. Can you name them? One's Calvin. Yes. Who has not missed a podium yet. We'll She's talk not about podium. that. Yep. The other one. Top 10. Is it Kevin? It's a good guess, but it's not Kevin. It is Kyle Klein. Oh, Okay. Who finished yeah, 10th this weekend tenth. to keep that alive? Kevin was 16. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pretty interesting. I think Kevin just, uh, I think he missed out this week, right? Yeah, Kevin was 16 this week. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> pretty interesting stuff. So, let's dive in here. You know, Gannonburr, this is his first DGPT Elite Series win, which is kind of surprising when you think about it. But, of course, you know, he won the major last year at USDGC. He had the silver win last year as well, and now he has the Elite Series win, which puts him into rare company. Mm -hmm. There are not that many players who have all three, of course, but let's exclude the silver because many of the top pros don't even play them. Eagle McMahon has never played a silver event. <laughs> um, but just to have an elite and a major, like the the ascension continues for Gannon. Like this is... He is now, you know, there's only like 20 people who've ever done that all time. Is it a surprise, though? I mean, we knew no. that Gannon, the way that he's playing, that he was going to get one. It was just a matter of time. Like we talked about with Kyle Klein, though, and 
as we quoted from Calvin's interview, I think Gannon's got to be thrilled that this came so early in the season because this was you know, the monkey on his back all season last year because he wasn't able to get the win. He got close so many times, but unable to, to really close it out and now is able to do so early and can just focus on playing his game, right? He's got the win. He already has a major under his belt. A lot of those pressures that exist for other players, whether that be trying to get a major like Calvin, for example, uh, or if it's just the question of trying to get an elite series win is one that both have just been answered and in recent history. And there is a level of comfort that I think should come with that, especially given the contract issues around Gannon. He has to be thinking that, well, I, you know, I've got to be looking for another contract next year. And this is continues, you know, if he's the best time to sign a contract is right after you win USDGC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but continuing to win is going to just raise that profile. And you got to think that he's just feeling relieved that it's not the case of, Oh, I won USDGC and then just had a, you know, very subpar year this year and isn't able to get the contract that he was hoping for. Well, obviously we're going to talk to him about the contract situation when we talk to him in a little bit. So uh, we'll save more of that conversation for our discussion with Gannon. Um, You know, I, as I said in the Rapid React show for subscribers on Sunday night, I think what I find most impressive about the performance is just the the mentality that he brings to the game at such a young age. It's not, you know, just the physical tools because a lot of these players out here have all of the tools necessary to win. And you could argue that there's players that have more skills in X, Y, and Z categories than Gannon. I mean, Gannon's probably the best putter on tour, but, you know, he's maybe not the number one forehand thrower, the number one backhand thrower. You know, you name all of the other uh, various skills. Gannon might not be number one, but, I mean, he has a killer mentality. Like, he talked about how he was not phased. You know, he didn't just complain about the course. He thought to himself, this is the course. I like the course. Let's go out here and and do what I can do. And you had you had a lot of other players talking about how they didn't like the course, complaining, and you know, does that cost some strokes? It probably does. I, I would think so. I, that I, it's got to be a mental burden to play something that you you are convinced that you don't like, and for Gannon then to you know Paul 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 said um, that he had a hard time getting into a rhythm. Um, and that I think Gannon demonstrates that that positive mentality can really allow you to just kind of settle in and in some of the areas go on autopilot, right? When your putter is on autopilot, when you're not thinking about it, that that creates strokes, that creates opportunities. And so I I 100% think that that played a role in Gannon's win here. I think it's interesting, you know, the Macbeth's comment about rhythm. I think that's maybe something that a new course is going to cause as a challenge. Mm-hmm. You don't know the course very well. You've only played it once or twice, right, as a practice round. And there's holes that are probably not perfectly tuned and cause it to feel a little herky-jerky. And it's mm-hmm. also just a demanding course. I mean, we talked about this in the Rapid Reacts. Like, there are a lot of shots required out there to be successful. You have to be creative. You have to be able to throw, you know, both right to left and left to right shots regularly. 
I thought the challenge of the course was up to the level of the Pro Tour. I mean, the highest score we saw all weekend was a 12 down, which that's a great round on almost any course. But, you know, you see 12 downs on a regular basis on on some tracks that the, the pros play in MPO. Uh, but this weekend, that was the best round by a couple of strokes. And let's tip the cap to Cole Radalin, who shot that 12 down. What was it rated, Josh? 1092. Woo. Cole Radalin coming out of the <laughs> gates crazy this season. He now, Josh, uh, has he's 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 finished with an event rating of 1040 or better. So when you average out the rounds three times in his career at an elite series or a major, he did it at Ledgestone back in 2021. And now he's done it twice this year at Waco, where he averaged 1055 to finish on the podium. And then this weekend uh, ultimately finishes in 14th. It's kind of the Cole Radolin experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Shoot the best round of the tournament by a mile and then kind of come out pretty darn flat the next round. But, uh, you know, I think we're seeing the overall level has risen a little bit for Radolin. At least that's what it looks like through three events this year. What's remarkable about Cole to me is that both the ceiling and the floor are rising together. It's not just the case that you know he he's getting better and able to push the higher rounds or the case that his consistency has gone up somewhat over previous years but both are moving together and that's a sign of a player who you should continue to keep in the conversation so many of these young players that jump up we see have one really really good tournament and it demonstrates that their ceiling may be higher than we gave them credit for but doesn't often speak to their floor and i think cole is showing us that he is progressively moving both in the right direction and that to me signals a player that is a must watch for the rest of this season what what a crazy final day in mpo i mean gannon wins by two strokes over simon mm-hmm. who by the way was playing great disc golf very strange weekend for him overall where he shot 18 under in the back nine through three rounds and only two under in the front nine which <laughs> is just like what but you know he couldn't score enough in the front nine if he, if he had had a a decent front nine in the final round, he would have won this tournament. Um, mm-hmm. And so then, you know, but you have a million players who could have won this thing. Calvin could have won. Austin Turner was on a crazy heater and then gave back uh, two strokes of the double bogey on 17. And that was it for him. Uh, you know, Eagle was in the mix for a while until a couple bad holes uh, to start the back nine. Uh, Paul was in the mix and then, you know, blew up with a double bogey. I mean, there there was a lot of medicine consumed out there by pros. And, uh, yeah, you know, it looked again like at Waco that we were going to have a playoff because you had seven guys within one shot uh, midway through the round. But it just seemed like nobody could find the shot making except Gannon. Like he was the one guy who was consistently making the clean shots down the stretch. And even he took a bogey late. That late bogey, really, I mean, so Calvin and Gannon stay neck and neck up until, I mean, they come into the the round neck and neck, right? And then Calvin comes on the course and immediately starts off with the double bogey. And as soon as that happens, the U-Disc win probability drops Calvin from 17 him and gannon are tied at 17 percent on the win probability and they were Cal- tied coming into the round correct well were they tied? yeah yeah they I, were 
They were, yep. So um, Calvin comes in, double bogeys. He's on lead card. Gannon, at this point, is now 14 down. And Gannon's win percentage jumps to 30%, 29%, and Calvin drops to 5 And then Gannon's just climbs. And nobody eclipses even 3%. I mean, it is by by round 9. So through the front 9, it has Gannon at the 30 and everyone else still at one or less. And then as soon as Gann gets through hole 13 and is now at 20 under par, it's got him at 72%. That late bogey drops Gannon to 80% and bumps Simon to 20. But then, you know, Gannon gets another birdie and closes the door and it's, it's kind of game over at that point. But, but you're right that Simon is the only one who even had a remote possibility based on the win percentage, at least after Calvin kind of took that double bogey that began to challenge Gannon and it came in the back nine. Cal- Simon like was at 4% going into the round and his percentages were much higher near the late half. And so you didn't see Simon climb with Gannon and stay close. It was the case where Simon fell out of contention and then comes back in, in the back nine and brings himself as an important conversation point. Very, like you said, very interesting round. I think it's very remarkable that we have another chase card winner in MPO to start this year. I mean, we're already two in uh, uh, Jomez is in shambles. <laughs> uh, I I'm, I'm just teasing, but it's, I feel bad for them. <laughs> uh, this is, this was this particular tournament. It feels almost uh, impossible to feel like you've told the story of the event from the lead card coverage. Yeah. Um, no, it's very interesting. You know, I, the win probability stuff for me, like during the live coverage, I find it to start to feel like a little too much. Like mm-hmm. I don't really want to see it that much. I think it's I kind of want to watch. But looking at it after the fact here, Josh, I find it really interesting because I remember at one point in the middle of the round, I was like, OK, well, Gannon Burr is now in the driver's seat. He controls his own destiny. But looking at it here, like the UDIS win probability was way more bullish on Burr winning this tournament way earlier in the round than I was. And it's partly because, you know, Austin Turner was playing really well and he was at the top of the leaderboard, but he was, you know, three or four holes ahead. Right. And so the ability for the computers basically to adjust for that, you know, by the by the time so Gannon was at 30 percent coming into the back nine but like no one else was even anywhere close like basically it was like if Gannon blows up somebody else could win but like no one else is really even in the picture at that point I have one small correction to make I I had not included Eagle McMahon because he fell so far down the leaderboard if you add Eagle McMahon Ah. into this win percentage it actually has Eagle at 50% with Gannon only at 30 that that feels more correct to the storyline that we were talking about it's at hole 12 where Gannon eclipses eagle and then eagle begins to fall off that's when gannon takes the driver's seat um makes much more sense you know it's hard to remember eagle was on the lead card when you just look at standings because eagle fell down to that big kind of hodgepodge at sixth right with the four-way tie Um, well as as great as austin turner was playing he never got above 10 percent. no uh pretty interesting pretty interesting but yeah uh i i think it was a it was just one of those rounds where, you know, you had a lot of players who had a op- hop- had opportunities, and mm-hmm. it just you, you have to stay so focused out there. I mean, you see Calvin Heimberg take two double bogeys in a round. Like, how often does that even happen? It's incredibly rare. 
Um, Heimberg, by the way, has now extended his podium streak to four straight events, three to begin this year and then the end last season. Uh, he's only done that one other time. He did it from uh, 2020 MVP uh, into the following season at 2021 LVC. So, you know, that's not a surprise that, you know, that this is a kind of like a, a the, the, some of the best disc golf we've seen from Calvin Heimberg. And as I said on Sunday, I think that he's been the best player so far this season. Well, and, and that is supported by the, the, the Pro Tour standings. He is 30, 31 points ahead of Kyle Klein. And then he's got uh, almost 50 points on Paul Macbeth. And Paul Macbeth has 50 points from a silver event. So, I mean, after that, it's Ezra who played two silver events. And Kevin is the next player without any silver events at 180, which means Calvin's got 64 points on third place. That That is that is a fast margin of, you know, separation between mm-hmm. those players. And, and that's the, the, the rule of the eight rule, right, where you're only able to have uh eight events that carry over and, and their drops that, that means that that margin should close because other people will have good tournaments and they'll get to drop some of these, but that's just a really impressive margin to pull on people that quickly. I would like to note that one player that we haven't even mentioned yet, who was very much in this tournament is vinyl Makala. Mm-hmm. And he, he just couldn't quite come up with the shots when he needed them. He had a lot of circle two looks couldn't cash any of them in. He went 0 for 7 and missed a couple of, uh, I think maybe just missed one circle one putt, but too long of a drought in the middle of the round, and he just slowly, painfully dropped back. You know, no like monster errors, but just couldn't cash in on birdies. And uh, it feels like a plague for some of these European MPO players, just like not quite enough putting to win tournaments. And like, when are we going to see that change? You know, is that is that going to be the difference maker? Because, you know, some of these guys can throw it with the best of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vino Makala was 0 for 7 in the final round in circle two putting. Right. Uh, you know, if he shoots even And almost average, all of those on, on birdie looks, Josh. Mm-hmm. And if he even shoots average, that, that gets him back a couple of strokes and he's in the mix. And so missing missing seven is a is that's tough. That's a lot of looks. It's a lot of looks. Seventy two percent circle two in regulation. I'm curious. Let's take a look at how that stacks up against the field. Um, Calvin Heinberg was first in. Uh, I must have looked at it. Oh, I was just looking at round three. So let's just pull round three. I'm curious how that looks. I mean that keeps him in the top ten, but there. I mean James Proctor. Jeez, <laughs> uh, James Proctor had the highest circle two in regulation in in the final round. Do you want to take a guess at what that number was? Eighty percent, eighty nine percent. Wow! Now o- almost nine out of ten shots. He was he was inside circle two at least. Um, yeah, probably means he got seventeen of eighteen, right? Or I guess it could be 16 of 18. Yeah. I'm surely I could do the math. But anyway, yes, great round. <laughs> Impressive round. <laughs> James Proctor, I mean, we, th- he's been really solid to start this season. He has. I, I want people to realize that. Like, he he kind of he switched over TSA discs. He's got the open bag, and his level has really gone up. I mean, we've seen him. He's 14th, 10th, and 3rd to start the season. 
he's inside the top 10 in the pro tour standings mm-hmm. and uh you know we'll see what happens his his rating is currently 1021 but he's playing uh above that level right now for sure here's the other thing i remember cuz i came on the show in late 2021 i sounds think sounds right yeah cuz i'm in my third season now okay when i came on we go into the west coast swing and i didn't know much about james proctor um and at that time, James Proctor was 1040 plus rated. That's right. Most of playing on the West Coast. Uh huh. That's right. He only, and, and I remember you saying, like, you, James Proctor is a guy to watch every time you come to the West Coast swing because, I mean, he just plays fantastic. He, he was a West Coast player, played well, uh, has, you know, another career that he had done and, and now is touring more. His rating slowly dropped down to the 1020s. Uh, but now seems to be playing his best disc golf since back in 2021 and is touring more, which means it feels like a, a kind of growth and leveling up that can mean that he'll be in contention, not just a, a really good local player who shreds at those other tournaments and then shows up on Pro Tour and, and yeah, he's, he's there and we talk about him, but it, it's not much. I mean, he is really starting to, to force us to take him seriously this season. And, and that's really exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, he was at 1042 in July 2021, and he's dropped 20 points off his rating. But maybe we're seeing him come back around and mm-hmm. start to look like the player that we saw a couple of years ago. Um, and hey, the open bag thing, maybe maybe there's something <laughs> to it. I think there's a there's an article in there somewhere about like, what are we seeing when players go open bag? Does it, how does it affect their rating? Um, at least in theory... It should help you be better, right? Should. You get to throw the That's favorite I discs. Yeah. I, I, I would think. Um, okay. One more thing on MPO, and then we got to talk about Paige and Kristen. Uh, Paul Macbeth has now finished two events in a row, Josh, with a double-digit finishing place. 10th, 13th. That's only happened tw- twice elsewhere in his career. Where he had back-to-back events, you know, not, you know, ninth or better. Twenty twenty two DDO and OTB Open, and then in twenty eighteen it happened at Jonesboro and GBO. Uh, now, now DDO. So, do do you make anything of this? Is this just, uh, you know, the foibles of Texas and Waco and a course he didn't like here at Austin, or is there something more? I don't know. Every time I try and read into something more and say, you know, and, and say Paul Macbeth is, it, I think there was one point last year where we talked about like, oh, this might truly be like the changing of the guard moment. <laughs> I, it, it just, and, and then he wins two majors, right? Like, no, no, only one major. Because he loses at European yeah. Open. Yeah, he won. He just won Worlds. Yeah, just win Worlds. I always think he wins too because I think he wins European Open. I want him and Eagle both to have a win from that <laughs> tournament. Uh, Paul could Paul could finish top ten around top ten, you know, between five and fifteenth on every Elite Series, and he still could win three majors this season. I don't think it's the likely scenario, but it, it it's still a possibility to me. Paul is still around close enough. If he was finishing outside top 20, then I think we can start chatting a little bit. But I don't know. I have a hard time getting too excited ever about the Paul Macbeth having struggles 
train because I always get proven wrong very shortly thereafter. Yeah, he posted on Instagram that uh, his game feels good, but he feels like mentally he's been a little bit out of it and he thinks that he's figured it out. It's a classic Paul Macbeth post. Classic Paul uh, Macbeth But you know post. what? Hey, I mean, when we get around a Champions Cup, yeah, he shot a 17 under last year. Yeah. I, you know, I you cannot count this guy out at the majors ever. He seems to always find a way to raise his level no matter where he's been at coming into the tournaments. Yeah. Um, last thing, Simon Lazat, Josh, second place finish. Uh, I think Simon looks great. Like maybe a little bit weird with the with the front nine back nine splits, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think he was clearly one of the best players out there this weekend. Uh, are you are are you gonna are you gonna back off on the uh, Simon is hurt take? I am. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I I definitely should. That it's he's proving that it's still he's still good to go. I mean. It's a very complete tournament for him. He shoots uh, just under, he shoots 9.39 strokes gained T to green. That's good for sixth. Uh, he has 6.42 strokes gained putting, which is fourth. Um, and I mean, those are, neither of his circle one, circle two are, are, are standout by themselves, but the completeness of them together, uh, nine OBs was a little bit high. Um, there was Eagle at 10 and then Kyle Klein at 10. Uh, and then after that, it was it was Simon in the top 10 in terms of OB strokes. So a little bit high there. But all in all, I mean, yeah, that's definitely uh, an overreaction on the Simon take about the injury. And so glad to see Simon back. Uh, we'll see what happens as we move forward this year. So let's t- turn our attention over to FPO. Paige Pierce getting the win. Uh, ultimately ends up being a fairly comfortable closeout. She ends up beating Katrina Allen by just two strokes, but Katrina was not really in the mix. Paige gave two strokes back on 17 and 18. That didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Katrina got three birdies late to kind of pull herself up into second place, but never really challenged for the actual win. So Paige Pierce... It just took her one tournament to knock the rust off, and now she's winning again. So I think everybody needs to calm down, including me. <laughs> but I like you know, like I said after Waco, I want to see Paige have the fire again, and I feel like we saw that a little bit more this weekend, like a little bit of sharper focus overall. And I, I I'm I'm just glad like that, you know, Paige is is right here and not going anywhere, even on a course that's like while it required distance was a little bit more on the technical side rather than the bomber side mm-hmm. um this continues the my uh, after the vegas overreactions show um we are now three for three from Paige, Kristen, and uh katrina in the wins column right i, I said it was going to be 18 to 21 and uh it's off to a good start and and it really i think the big thing here it feels like those three are just all playing amazing disc golf right now. I, oh, Kristen is not. Sorry, I should clarify. I think Kristen feels the most off of those three and still was able to get a win last week at Waco. And so that but but Paige and Katrina just feel really strong right now that they're playing really well uh with Paige with this event and was off at Waco, but 
it's nice to see that she's able to shoot even and just kind of coast into that that final. And that yeah, and, and Kristen's putter just is it's bad right now. It is. I mean, and and you know she she ends up losing strokes gained to the field, um, on the putting green. She shoots fifty nine percent from circle one X and eleven percent from circle two. I mean, fifty nine percent from C one X is just awful for Kristen Tatar. Yeah, like. You know, and I think this happens to pros. She was still good tee to green. She was really good. She was one of the top of the tournament. She shot, she outshot Paige tee to green. Yeah. But the just, yeah, it was just off. And we saw this back at, at Waco too. Um, and really she, you know, she kind of got delivered that tournament on a silver platter by Ella Hansen. And, you know, had to hit just a couple clutch shots to win it. And, you know, but the, but the putting woes continue. You know, she was missing C1X putts in the final round of Waco. It looked like she was not going to win that tournament either. She probably shouldn't have won it. And, uh, you know, then with Paige playing better, there was just, you know, Kristen kind of just took herself out of it, uh, particularly in the final rounds. It's the first time she's missed the podium, Josh, in a long time. Remember, she, she never missed the podium last year. So the streak comes to an end after 16 straight Elite Series and major podiums dating back to the 2021 Des Moines Challenge. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I I asked the Stat Mando guys, what's the biggest streak that we've seen? Because you know we haven't seen something like this in a while. It feels like in FPO, uh, the biggest streak goes to Katrina Allen, who from 2013 to 2016 went 37 straight Elite Series and Major Tournaments finishing on the podium. That is probably a record that will not get broken. Yeah. That's pretty insane. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it is true that this is like the longest streak in quite some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's actually the most recent streak of of that magnitude. Um, So that, you know, ending in 2016, everybody else's streaks... Des Redding, Val Jenkins, who do, who had a couple big long streaks, uh, J.K. Those were all back in you know early 2010s and dating back into even the 90s. Yeah, when it, when it was just a different game, different field. I mean, you have to to also give Kristen the nod because I think that to do what she, it's it's I guess the argument can go both ways. But I think her streak is is more difficult because she isn't playing all the time. And so to come back to the United States after you know two months of not playing and be able just to step right back in where you left off, some could make the argument that because she's playing less, there's you know less opportunities to miss it and and to screw up. But to still go 16 and make this list and and despite having those kind of breaks, I think is just so remarkable and impressive. And in while it is not the 37 that, like you said, I think will ever be touched, it, it is still an impressive feat nonetheless, and and something that I'm sure she's very proud of. Paige Pierce uh, had gone eight starts in a row at Elite Series and Majors without a win. This that was the longest streak in her career with no win. So she snaps the the, the negative streak, um, and Kristen snaps her positive streak. So, uh, meanwhile, Katrina Allen has now finished inside the top 10, three straight tournaments to start the year and, uh, continues to look really sharp. So, uh, I think we're off to a great start to the season. Like, I don't think it's obvious who the best player has been so far. I'd probably say Katrina, but you know, 
there's it's it's too early to say much of anything. Yeah, and and it's interesting all in all to me because so if you take let's just do standings real fast before you look. So sure. Katrina Allen is number 1 in the standings uh with 235 points. Second place is Sarah Hokum, but she is buoyed by 76 points from silver events in the wraparound tour. Right. Um, and, and this early in the season, that's going to play, you know, once I say once we're, you know, through champions cup, no more caveats with that. But right now those two equal more than any one elite event that she has on her schedule right now. Right. So, right. Uh, right I, I'm a hard pressed to, to give it too much weight, but who do you think is in second place after Katrina Allen? Hmm. They don't have any silver events. And it's probably somebody who's played all three tournaments and played well. Correct. I'm going to guess it's Ella. It is yeah. Ella. It is Ella with a second, fourth, and seventh place finish uh, yeah. two, at 207 points. Not far behind. Uh, the, it's funny because you know I, I picked Ella for my podium, which obviously didn't happen. But still, a seventh place finish at a technical course. If that's Ella's off week, where you know she was in the lead and tied for the lead after round one, and then falls down to seventh, that man, that's all right. I, I asked this in the Discord. You know, how long does Ella have to play at this level before we consider her having leveled up her game? You know, in a meaningful sense. Yeah, and, and we're not far off. Like, if I see one or two more tournaments like this, it's like okay, Ella has gone to a new tier. You know, she's not at the Kristen Page Katrina tier, not yet, but one tier below that. I think that's probably where she sits right now. Yeah. And pretty impressive. What's impressive also to me, one one last thing to add who else do you put in that tier? Missy Gannon, right now. We haven't seen Val Mondahano because of the injury. Probably Owen Scoggins. Got to. Maybe Holland, but Holland's also got a 21st finish, right? I think Ella's been the better player of the two that feel very similar. But but then look at those other people, right? I mean, Macy Valadez, eh, Maria Oliva, eh, those are benefited by, you know, silver wins. Kristen, obviously, just a little off her game. Uh, Haley plays well, but, I mean, the story of Haley, 23rd this week, right? Just played terrible. So yeah, blew up her tournament with a terrible final round. Um, yeah, you know, Hannah's got a couple top 10s. Is Hannah in that conversation? She's probably in that conversation, but the the consistency level isn't always there. And that's that's that second tier. You either get people who are really consistent, or you get people who have the the, the win potential, right? And have that factor. Mm-hmm. And and that's where they sit. And Ella almost feels like she should be the top of that group the way she's playing right now. Mm-hmm. Where you know Missy's got the 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 strong consistency. But doesn't have that, you know, an own too, right? Real consistent, but doesn't have that win factor. Um, Feels like Ella has the win factor. Right, and she's showing us the consistency right now. It's incredible. I mean, really only matched in Missy sometimes in past years, but really feels like a Valerie Mondahano, right? Very consistent player who also is able to take wins. Now, Ella doesn't have hers yet, but that's where it feels that that Ella is playing this season. And last year, we were like, Man, is Valerie in the top four? Right? Is this an elite four now? And uh, that was a little quick to to jump to, but now, man, I good. just want to point out a name you haven't even said yet. Jessica Weiss is sitting at number four in the standings after her top three finish this weekend. It's her first podium 
in a couple of years yeah. at an elite series or a major. She also has a seventh place finish at LVC. Uh, she was on the podium at uh, one of the uh, wraparound silver events and uh, was 16th at Waco. Jessica Weiss, really nice start to the season. Yeah. Yes, it so is. So keep an eye on that as she uh, is currently sitting in the top five. Also, Caroline Henderson watch. You know, all that buzz coming into LVC. She comes out on the, you know, they put her on the feature card. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> she was just not ready for that. Um, but ends up finishing inside the top 10 at that tournament. Uh, and then is 29th at Waco and then 12th at Austin. So she's currently sitting at 18th in the standings. There's, she's got a lot of potential. She does. Even if like, you know, maybe it was a little too much crazy hype coming into LVC. <laughs> Wait, the disc golf community overreacted? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Gannon Burr will join us, and we will discuss his Open at Austin win, and we'll, we'll see what he'll tell us about what's going on with Prodigy and the sponsorship stuff. So we'll be right back. The quality of our gear runs deeper than the stitching. That's why we make everything right here in the U.S., employing highly skilled, well-paid professionals. From bomb-proof Cordura fabric to YKK zippers and recycled plastics, we source the highest quality U.S. materials to make the most comfortable, durable pack in disc golf. Our lifetime warranty stays with the pack, not the purchaser. So regardless of how you find us, we will be here to make sure your pack stays on the course and out of the landfill. Pound's integrity is held together with more than just thread. Joining us now on the Upshot is Gannon Burr, who's coming off of his first DGPT Elite Series win at the Open at Austin. Gannon, congratulations. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for thanks for that. Um, getting ready for Texas States here in Houston, and I'm pretty excited for that. Silver Series are always nice to kind of have a toned down event, a little more relaxed. Yeah, you gonna you gonna rock the uh, the cowboy hat for the tournament? I honestly, I, I might. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to, but at the same time, it's it's kind of loose on my head, so I don't think it's gonna work. Um, I did promise my caddy if I won, I'd wear it, but I. I guess I just assumed it would fit perfect, but I don't know. We'll see. Oh, you gotta you gotta ask them about uh, you know getting it sized properly for you. I'm, yeah. I'm sure they can do that. Um, awesome. Well, so well, how how would you describe your win at this tournament? I mean, it, it's it's a kind of a different feel, I would imagine, from you know USDGC for a lot of reasons, especially considering just how crazy and tight it was down the stretch. Uh, you know, all the way into the back nine of the final rounds. Yeah, it was it was a little bit different too because, like, we I mean, no one had ever played that course before, so we're all kind of just running on a couple practice rounds and and what we know just from what we've practiced. It's kind of hard to like even see what other people do on the holes. Like a lot of times, like for like especially like USDGC, I'll see what like other players have done in the past on holes, and then I'll try to kind of do the same thing or or you know, change a little bit to my game plan. But when you're playing a brand new course, you, you got to kind of make, you know, things work by yourself. So um, I guess that could have given me a little bit of an advantage when I went out and played. Um, 
the other thing I think about is just a lot of people didn't like the course and I always try to just keep a positive mindset about it. Um, just because if people are going to be, you know, just hating on it and they're not, you know, they're not already liking the course, they're probably not going to play as good. Um, so I, I just tried to, you know, just enjoy every second of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about that, that mindset seeming to help you this weekend. Uh, you know, now that you're a, done with the course, how would you assess it? Do you think this is a, a good quality pro tour course that you'd like to see played again next year? I think it is. I think there's probably, there's probably like three holes that need to go. I'd say like hole one, hole six and hole 17. So hole one's just didn't have much scoring, scoring separation because it was too hard in a way, but it also didn't result in too many bogeys. Um, hole six was just that spike heiser that you had to get lucky and just throw a kind of a dumb shot. And then 17 was that super wooded parkour that it was, I mean, uh, in a way a little bit luck based and the tee shot was weird because it was so short. Um, so those are the three holes I think about whenever I think about the holes that they should get rid of. Um, and then I, I think the rest of the course is pretty solid. Actually, they could probably make a couple adjustments. Um, I mean, I don't know any critiques myself, but I'm sure other people could see something, you know, maybe better in the course, but I actually enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought it scored pretty well. A lot of, you know, birdie and bogey holes and there's a lot of decision making and it kind of forces you to go for some shots like hole 18 the final round i had to go for that approach because there's no good way to lay it up like usually you have a you have a place to lay it up you can just you know putt for the win and or from like 100 feet but i had to i had to go for it because i didn't see a, a good way to lay that hole up did you like 18 i did i thought it was uh i mean the, what the fans want to see too is you know a pressure-filled moment and that was definitely for me yeah, it wasn't just going to be boring. I just pitch up, then I pitch up again, and then tap in for the win. You know, I, I had to execute still one more shot, and uh, that was the goal. The only other, the only issue with eighteen was that it was, I was kind of in the woods a little bit at the end. Um, so maybe made it a little bit harder for spectating on the like the other side of the basket. But I thought I thought it was a pretty solid finishing hole. What at what point? You know, how much were you scoreboard watching? Because the, you know, obviously scores were super tight. Um, did you? Were you trying to keep a track of, you know, what's going on, Austin Turner and, you know, Eagle and Paul and everybody else? Obviously, Paul's on your card, so. Yeah, I had a, I definitely watched scores pretty much from, like, hole three and on at almost every single hole just because, for me, it almost helps as, like, a boost to see if I'm still in it. Like, maybe maybe I'm not playing so great, but I'm still in, like, one back. It kind of gives me a boost, or I'm playing good and I'm two ahead. Uh, so it helps me a little bit. It also helps me know like what shots to go for or the, you know, the error error on the side of, you know, being more safe than being more aggressive. Um, Austin Turner coming up was actually a little bit scary because I, he, I think he was like 11 down through 15 and he, he finished the round um, 10 down. Uh, I think he had 18 under par for the tournament. So he was 19 under par with, um, with three holes to play, I think. I think so that's right. You know he he could have he could have definitely made a run and it definitely put some pressure on me. But the main one was Simon, especially when he hit that sixty foot putt for par in seventeen. I could hear the roars and I asked my caddy Gavin. I'm like, like yo, who who made that putt? Like <laughs> he's like Simon. I'm like crap. That was the one person I didn't want to make the putt. Um, so that that did kind of force me to have to you know go more aggressive on eighteen. If not, I, you know could have just been okay with a bogey, but I you had to go for it. Yeah. At what point did you feel like you were in control of the tournament if you were able to execute shots? Um, I'd say 
I think right around like hole 14, I just tapped in for my birdie to give me a nine down. I just birdied five in a row. Um, so yeah, nine down through 14. I checked scores and and uh, Cole and Eagle were actually kind of my two closest competitors. I mean, there were a couple holes back and I had them by a couple strokes. So we were kind of even if they birdied out uh, the next couple holes. And then I saw Eagle like on the fairway after four, two OBs. I'm like, oh, he's going to double. And then Cole, I think, ended up a couple holes later doubling 15. So they were both way out of it. Um, and then it kind of just, yeah, I just moved to Simon. That's pretty much it. Uh, but uh, I, I felt pretty in control once I was kind of just checking the scoreboard a little bit more, especially after my birdie on 17. Um, I thought I had it pretty locked up because I, I felt pretty comfortable with that second shot in 18. Do you feel like you were able, and you know, throughout the season so far, that you've been able to set aside some of the stuff that's going on off the course uh, to be able to focus and play your best game? Yeah, I I don't think any of like what's been going on with me has affected my game. Like in the early season, I mean, I my my worst finish last year was twenty fifth place, and I already got a thirtieth and a twenty fifth at Las Vegas and Waco, and both of them just like felt weird to where. It felt like my game like wasn't that bad. It felt like I played like top ten, top fifteen golf, but I just like ran into a couple things every round that just you know I ran into these two stroke swings that just make such a big difference now because the field's so tight. Um, and I, I think it was just truly because my game wasn't quite there. I I wasn't in the right mindset. Um, it's always kind of weird coming into the season. Um, for some reason, I wasn't nervous at all, and I think that kind of cost me to play a little bit worse. Um, and then, you know, for the Open of Austin, especially the final round, I was pretty nervous the whole round. And that's when I play my best disc golf is when I'm super nervous. It forces me to make smarter decisions, execute on shots a little more specifically, and, uh, you know, make some more putts. Had you, you know, coming into this season, had you been playing with Prodigy discs in practice rounds or were you using other discs? Um, I mean... I was kind of just playing with everything just for fun, honestly. <laughs> I kind of I kind of do that just anyway, just you know. I mean, I'll go out with some friends. We'll throw a bunch of just other discs. I mean, so I was kind of, I was kind of playing with everything just in case. How how would you assess where things stand right now with Prodigy? Obviously, they uh, you know dropped the request for a preliminary injunction. You know, things seem to have calmed down a little bit on that front. So where where are things with Prodigy and you? Yeah, we're just working on getting a resolution right now. Um, that way, you know, we can kind of both come out of it okay. Um, and I don't really have too much more on that. Just trying to get a resolution worked out. Sure. Uh, can you imagine yourself signing with Prodigy <clears throat> again next year? Or is this, it's it's over and it's just a matter of when it's over? I mean, if for the right amount, yeah. I mean, I feel like... <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how it's going to work for anything. I feel like, you know, the right, the right amount would, uh, you know, would, it uh, would definitely be, be worth it for me. Do do you have any regrets about how you've handled things with prodigy over the last six months? Mm, not really. I, I kind of thought I went about it, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, try not to make it too, uh, I wasn't rude about any of it. You know, I, I, I was trying to make it a smooth process myself. And, and then, you know, unfortunately that happened. So can't really control that too much, but I, I tried my best to make it just a, you know, a clean, smooth process. And, you know, hope my, my goal is that no one would get, you know, I guess hurt 
from that, you know. So yeah. How 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 did you respond when they file a lawsuit against you? Um, I don't even know. I was just a little bit surprised, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't really know what to say on that one. I just I was just out there playing some disc golf at the All Star event, and then it kind of you know. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess the last question on this topic: Do you expect that you will finish out this year? with the prodigy contract or, you know, there's obviously been discussions about buyouts and things, uh, already. Uh, is there any progress on that and like an actual, what might be end up being an amicable separation? Um, that, that I'm not sure of at this moment. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of the resolution that we're trying to figure out is just like, what's going to happen. What's, what's the next step in, you know, no matter what direction it's in, I just, or still working on coming to a conclusion, whether it's, you know, with them or away from them or signing more years. So yeah, we're trying to figure that out still. Gotcha. Uh, are you directly involved with that or do you have like a lawyer handling that at this point? Uh, yeah, I got, I got someone helping with me. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to the open at Austin. What is it, you know, how does it, what does it mean to you to win this tournament? You know, does it feel like less important than USDGC? I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely less important. Um, I, I, I did want to, my goal was to get, I think, two Elite Series wins this year on the Pro Tour um, and or another major. Um, and I'm, I'm already on my way to, you know, it feels good to get that, that win pretty early in the season. Um, it's going to, if anything, just take less pressure off my next tournament I play. Just because I now I already know I have at least one, uh, which you know it's always nice to have. Um, you know, even like Paul and Beth, he only had one win last year, and then he won Worlds. So I guess that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm obviously try, I'm trying to win every event. Um, I'm going to do my best to, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, win every event. I want to. My goal this season is to win an event like super dominant, like I mean by like eight strokes. That's my goal, and I think I can do it. I probably lost like eight to 10 strokes on putting at Austin. My putting was not good. Um, so I, th I think if my driving and my putting is on, I can, I can definitely have one of those dominant wins because I was number one in tee to green, which is, you know, not super usual for me. Usually I'm, you know, top five in strokes gained putting. So uh, in Austin, I was like 18th or something. So not, not too great. But if I can, if I can get both aspects of my game dialed in and have that, like, I don't know, I guess clutch factor, when the moments count, I think I can. I think I can put together a pretty hot tournament. Do, do you think? I mean, you know, most players probably do to some extent. You know, do you think you're the best player on tour if things are clicking? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's hard. That's hard to think because, like, I'm trying to think of like where where my, I guess, ceiling right now is compared to like. I mean. Paul, when he's on, is like some pretty, sometimes unbeatable. Ricky, when he's on, is just like the man, you know. So sure. I, I don't know. It's I mean, it's not usual that every, you know we're all on at the same time. Uh, I try not to like talk myself up, so um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just going with whatever people say. I guess I don't really have too much of an opinion about myself. Uh, how would you say your game has changed? maybe even like within the last year or so, like if you go back to the beginning of 2022, you know, you come out of the gates at LVC and, and you come really close, obviously, um, and losing the playoff. 
how has your game changed? Uh, and and that, that could be like the actual, you know, throwing of the discs, but also maybe on a mentality standpoint. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Mentality is a little bit, I find it easier. I don't know. Like now that I have a couple wins, it's easier to like not feel too stressed whenever it comes to those like situations. I'm, I'm obviously nervous still, but I'm not like super stressed out like I used to be. Um, but another thing I, I feel like I belong now where before I like had to prove myself I'm still trying to prove myself every day, but, um, you know, getting, you know, a major elite series all within, you know, just a couple months, you know, the OCDC was pretty late in the season and this is only part of end of the season. Um, so like, I don't know, I'm just trying to prove it to myself. That's changed in my, my actual, how I play the course is a little bit different. Um, I, I probably have like 50, to maybe a hundred feet more distance now than I did like early last year. Wow. That's just been putting on weight, a little, little bit more muscle, a little more speed. Um, but like a, a good example is hole 17 at Las Vegas challenge at the end of a course. It's like a 450. last year it was like a 450 par three. And I was, I was looking at scores. I'm like, Hey, if I go par par, I'm on, I'm going to be on lead card around two. And that's all I cared about. And where now I'd be like, okay, let me go birdie birdie. That way I can get ahead, you know, before I was like, I just want to be on the lead card. Now I'm trying to attack even further. So, um, and you know, especially like USDGC, I went more aggressive when I needed to, um, like hole tens that 480 foot par four that you can Eagle. And I eagled it three of the four rounds and the one round I missed the LZOB by like two inches. So just going, going for shots that I don't know. It's a weird line because there's like a difference between like aggressive play and being good at it because a lot of like maybe a 10, 15 players going for those shots. But if, you know, he can play the same exact game plan I do, but if he doesn't have the execution, um, then it's not going to matter. Then you can actually hurt yourself. So I think that's where like, like Calvin's been doing super good this season. And I saw that at the all-star event he was just throwing far consistently where he wanted to every time he's putting Calvin might be like the best putter in the world right now. He's putting so good. Um, but, you know, he's he's able to be aggressive and still be super accurate with it. So there's there's like a there's a weird like threshold where you have to be good enough to go for the aggressive shots for it to actually pay off. Other than that, you have to play a little bit safer to, you know, because so you don't drop as many strokes. Right. Right. Um yeah, it's like take the risk reward, but actually have a chance at the reward. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you you know you mentioned so two things. First, I want to ask you about your workout regimen. How much weight have you put on, and and like what approach did you take to uh, sort of you know bulking up in the off season? Yeah, but before I left for tour, I haven't weighed myself since. So probably like three weeks uh, to a month, I haven't weighed myself, but I I put on twenty five pounds. Wow. Um, after USDGC, I was, I was 149 after USDGC and then I was 175 when I left. So I, I put on a good bit of weight. So I mean, not all of it's muscle, obviously, cause my, my goal was just to put on weight. Um, I was kind of just trying to eat as much as I could, um, if it was good or bad. Uh, but one thing that helped is I did like a protein smoothie every night with, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of good nutrients in it. And I it would like probably a 30, 32 ounce, 36 ounce smoothie. So it was a pretty big smoothie um, every single night. Um, I did something with my legs pretty much every single night. That was a big goal of mine just because I've always had like super, super skinny legs. 
now I actually have a little bit of muscle on my legs. And I, I noticed it like right away at the all-star event. I didn't get tired after my rounds. Like my legs weren't sore at all. So that mm-hmm. helped a bunch. Um, and then I just worked on uh, just like hip stability, upper body with, uh, uh, I worked with a guy early in the season named Josh, um, more on like muscle building. And then as the season got closer, um, I worked with Seth Muncy to try to get my stability and mobility a little bit better. That's, that's a lot of weight to put on in like four months. Yeah. You feel like it's, you're, you're feeling good out there not like heavy. No, I, I'm, I definitely want to lose like, I mean, I, with gaining the weight, especially because my diet's not like amazing. Uh, I try to eat a little bit better, but, uh, like I did put on some fat and I'm trying to, I, I definitely want to get rid of that as well, but I still want to maintain the muscle. So I'm, it's going to be hard for me, but I, I definitely want to like try <laughs> to eat healthier. Um, and then maybe get, so maybe get a good amount of cardio in every week, even like, you know, on tour, maybe like, you know, the days leading up to the event, skip the last day of practice. And then, you know, then I'm still rested up or ready for the tournament. Um, cause I definitely do feel like I sometimes like I feel a little bit sluggish just cause I do have that extra weight. But then other times I feel like way more powerful, way more explosive. I mean, my, my sure. forehand that this last weekend was, you know, it was, I was feeling pretty good about it. Yuli even called it like world class, but I don't know. I don't know about that, but it was feeling pretty good. Um, <laughs> You know, I was a lot of people weren't reaching hole one, and I was able to put it circle one during round two, just on, and it never got to flat. It was on a hyzer the whole way. Um, so I think my, my forehand's been feeling really good. My backhand, um, I'm just able to rip into shots a little bit more and get get that extra distance I need to, and still be able to throw an overstable disc to always land consistently left or consistently in the fairway where I want it to. What do you need to do to get your putting back to where you want it to be? I have no idea. I just got to, just got to, you know, kind of mess with things, experiment with different. I, I mean, I've, I've tried watching videos of myself when I like, I don't know, putting's just a little bit different. I feel like than driving, driving, it's, it's kind of easier to like really see what you're doing wrong. Putting's a little bit more difficult. It's cause it's so like, so specific to like the tips of your fingers. Um, and it seems like my putt has got so nose down to where it's like it's flying through the air. If like the basket's here, it's just flying through the air like that, which is like so weird. I, um, Gavin laughed at me because I had a, like my putt on hole 16. He was like, the, the disc was literally like this when it's flying <laughs> through the air. Um, and when I putt, I can see the entire bottom side of the disc. And it's been not good in like in headwinds, especially because it just slams straight into the cage every time. And I've, I, uh, round one at Austin, I, I only spin putted the whole round. So, um, because it was super windy. So I, I didn't only spin putt round. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just need to maybe practice putt a little bit more experiment, maybe try to putt more nose up. Cause that's the only issue is just, it's so, it's just so nose down. That's pretty much the only issue I have. It's, it's funny to hear you talk about your putting, like not being where you want it to be when you shot 90% uh 33% which like is still elite numbers in aggregate yeah. but they just didn't feel good when they went in you know right right <laughs> cuz like you can have them go in but if you're not like I didn't feel confident at all i mean i i was weird like i, I feel like i either made it or i airballed it straight ob you know um during round 2 i i 
I putted one from like 50 feet, airballed it, and then I, I putted it straight OB. The next hole, I missed a 40 footer and it rolled 150 down a hill. <laughs> right. You know, it just everything, like the wheels are kind of falling off with my putting a little bit in the, the round there. You know, I three putted, missed my, missed a circle one putt. That's, I hate that. Missing circle ones are like the worst thing ever. Um, so those are unacceptable. I mean, unless it's super windy, but, you know, I'll, I'll work on it. it. It'll get better. If I can get my, you know, my driving and my putting data, and I think I could have a chance every single weekend. So tell us about this uh, Texas States course. Have you played it yet? No, never no. played it. Um, I'm going to walk it today. Um, I might throw a couple shots. Probably not. Um, I want to rest. My, my back's been tight the entire season so far, and I just want to – I haven't really had any time to rest. I've Even when it's tight, I just play through it, which I don't think I should. Um and my fingers have been splitting pretty bad and it, they they'll bleed and they'll like they almost like like swell up a little bit like on my like fingernails kind of and it hurts to throw right away like when you uh first start your round so uh, i think i'm just going to bring like 10 putters out and just practice putting every hole um you know by the end of the round i'll have you know 300 putts in so that's kind of my goal i guess gotcha i mean are do you think maybe you should take the weekend off considering the back and the hands and stuff no i i'll be fine for sure i just need to i just need to take a couple of days off and spoken, keep stretching spoken like a teenager yeah. <laughs> uh we, we once upon a time we could all do that um well i mean i, I used to be able to like just i want i mean i wish i could almost go back to the days where i could just like get out of the car and rip a shot but like i mean i feel like mo- pretty much every pro can't really do that anymore just i mean yes we're able to throw it further in a way with less effort, but the less effort is because our whole body is working perfectly to where our muscles are working almost harder, you know, in, in a way. So, you know, the further you throw, the harder you're really working to throw. And that's kind of how that's, that's been for me. Um, yeah, I just need to keep stretching. I mean, it, it hasn't been unbearable where I can't play. So I think, I mean, unless it gets to a really bad point, I'm not going to quit playing. Got it. So, uh, <laughs> Looking at the rest of your competition, who's been impressive to you so far this season? Um, whether because they've just been playing consistently, or they've worked on their skills in the off season, or something like that. Calvin, I think, is going to be the you know one of the best players this year. Uh, he's just been he's so consistent. He already has a win. I think he has. I think he has a win in two podiums, which is just crazy. I mean, that's right. That's that's so good. At this you know the level that the game's at. Um, I'd, I'd like to get there for sure. I think I'll get better as the season goes on. But Calvin just seems to be consistent, throwing shots where he needs to and making his big putts. And he's not having like an off round. Like he's just playing good every single round. Um, and he's making it look easy. It doesn't seem like he's trying too hard, which is a scary thought for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of another player that is. Calvin has just seemed the most dominant to me of anybody. I can't really think of anyone else. The only other player who's been in the top ten all three tournaments is Kyle Klein. Kyle Klein, yeah, he's uh he's definitely he's definitely really consistent. He, I mean, yeah, me and him are. I think the, the stat came out like the only players who's who've never missed the top thirty, or at least in like the yeah, over the last, the last years. couple years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the one time I missed it was when I like I just got my knee surgery and it was my first tournament back. So I was I wasn't I don't even count that you know. <laughs> Um, and that's only my, that's my only missed cash to date was like 2020 Jonesboro. I missed it by stroke cause I double bogeyed the last hole. Um, but, uh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kyle, Kyle's game is, it, it was good to see him get that win. Cause he, you know, he, he does like, he's 
obviously good enough to win. Um, maybe in the past he's kind of struggled. Like last, like like last year, it kind of felt like he struggled to get into that situation to win. He'd always kind of finish like fifth, third, even. He had a couple, he had a good amount of podiums, a couple like seventh places, and but he just couldn't seem to win. But you know, getting that win early in Waco, especially off the chase card, is his, his game's looking pretty good, and he's, he's I think he's feeling pretty confident with his bag as well. All right, last thing here. Let's look ahead to the major. We've got the Champions Cup coming up in about a month, three weeks. Um, you know, you obviously had a good tournament there last year. You're in fifth. What do you need to do to win that event? Start hot. Last year, I started not great. and I pulled off a 13 down the final round to get up into the fifth place position. Um I need, I need to start hot. I need to get on that lead card during round after after round one and, and stay on it. Um, I need to just get get in a rhythm because that final round when I shot my 13 down, it felt like I just couldn't mess up. It was amazing. Um, if I could have gotten that rhythm a little bit earlier in the tournament, I think I kind of had a good shot to win. I think it plays pretty good in my strengths is like throwing the correct shot and throwing the most highest percentage shot. But it's still like it's woods golf, but you have to throw far in the woods, which is like my favorite kind of disc golf. Far in the woods where, you know, I'm not like having to throw a touchy line. I'm really throwing a, I'm throwing a mid-range super hard. And that's, that's where I hit my gaps the best. So I think that the course plays my game. It's my favorite course ever. And I think, you know, I, I have a decent shot to win. That's, that's a tournament I definitely want to win because I think I have, a, I have a really good shot. Well, it's going to be fun. Georgia in April. It's yeah. nice time to be playing some golf there. For sure. Uh, well, Gannon, congrats uh, on the win, and uh, good luck at, uh, what is it, the Innova Open at the Texas States or something, blah, 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 like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, keep, I, I keep forgetting that. I think it's yeah, the Innova <laughs> Open at Texas States, I think, is what it is. Yes. All right, Gannon, appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Gannon Burr with us here on The Upshot. We'll be right back. Back to the upshot. It's time for a new segment. Well, not really a new segment. A segment we've done for a long time. It's had names over the years. We most recently <laughs> called it the drop zone. And then everyone was like, hey, guys, why are you stealing Terry Miller's podcast name? Which we didn't realize we had done that. So sorry to Terry. Now this segment is called 30 Second Rule. We get 30 seconds on these topics and if we run over there's no punishment it's just like the pro tour uh so here we go first up in 30 second rule josh take it away yeah um there's a clip eagle throws a grenade up and over you know trees not not a long shot by any means and comes down and just hits dave the camera guy for gatekeeper uh, just right on top of his head and it ended up being a pretty nasty injury he, he's okay had to get staples in his head um but you hate to see it i mean it's always a risk and a concern but i'm I'm hoping dave is recovering well and feeling better but uh definitely a, a scary incident for sure i i heard some people say that the sound was so loud that they thought eagle hit the basket oh my god I yeah. mean, it square up, hit him straight on top of the head, completely vertical disc uh, on the grenade. And it goes to show you, like, you can really get hurt. Like, mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that a grenade could do that much damage, right? Like a drive, a full power drive into somebody, like if the, a pro shanks it and hits somebody in the gallery or something. 
But wow, it's you know it's a pretty gnarly looking injury. You know, I I guess the question is, of course, what do you do about this? I I I, I mean, what can you do? It's not like he was in a position where he was about to, like you know, standing right by the basket. I mean, he was he was back yeah. in the trees. Maybe there needs to be a little bit more care paid to knowing what a player is throwing. Because if you're anticipating a grenade, you can at least have eyes up and be ready for that. Um, and I've also seen some people say, like, they should be wearing, like, hats with a little protective, like, plastic sheath in it. Kind of like a mini hard hat, but it's, like, still like a baseball cap. I mean, I don't know. Like, this seems like kind of a freak incident, but uh, hopefully Dave's okay. That's number one thing. Yeah. Next up, Paul Macbeth has an interview, and we've actually got the clip here for you to watch. This is his interview at the end of round one when they grabbed him just coming off of the course. Uh, we'll take a listen, and then we will chat about that. Um, it just kind of, you know, I was, I was throwing the disc well, just not getting in positions. Um, but I just had to tell myself, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this course. So it, just like we all have to play it, just got to get through it. Um, just two more rounds now. But uh, I guess I put myself in a good position um, as far as what you're saying scores are. Uh, 17 and 18, the finish. You know, break down those holes. <laughs> Terrible holes. <laughs> Terrible holes. Um, you know, I, I kind of I probably had the best drive that anyone had all day on that hole and just absolutely nothing. I mean, I'm sitting there trying to jump putt a driver, just get to the gap. Uh, I could have given a better bid on the putt, and that's kind of what led to the bogey. But, I mean, I throw a drive like that, and I get absolutely nothing. So... I'm probably just going to jump off the tee tomorrow and go a different route. And uh, 18, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's a great finishing hole. You know, they got this whole property, but. You know. Well, so Paul obviously doesn't have uh, nice things to say about this course. Um, you know, to me, I guess this just mostly puts in contrast for me the way that we heard Gannon talk about the course. Um, you know, and it's like kind of like a mindset thing. Uh, in some ways, it doesn't surprise me that Paul, after the tournament, said that he felt like he was having some mindset issues, and that's what was was hurting him on the course. I don't know if that's specifically what he was referring to, but you know, you got to play the course that's in front of you. Um, and uh, you know, I, I <laughs> there was like a pretty good conversation about his battle with hole seventeen. Uh, the pro tour even did a super clip of. Paul versus hole 17 and then they deleted it why did they delete it the conspiracy uh I thought it was great I don't know why they deleted it uh (laughs) you know Paul made some amazing shots on that hole you know he had in the final round he does that backdoor skip shot that was so amazing Uh, and then the putt wouldn't stick brutal yeah this I think though moves to kind of a, a different topic just a little bit should this course and the tournament continue to stay on tour Charlie, I'll let you take this first. Uh, This tournament's going to stay on tour 100%. There is absolutely, mm-hmm. it is clear that Austin should host a pro tour. I mean, the, the, especially the, during South by Southwest. The crowds were popping. I, I, we already got an email from somebody who was like, I happen to be in town for South by Southwest, or no, n- not even. They were in town for something else in Austin. They were able to go to some concerts because of South by Southwest, and they went on Friday and went and watched the pro tour event. Well, we also got an email from somebody at South by Southwest. There you go. So I get, we got a couple. They can't wait to go down go. for work. And so. so it just makes sense. I think clearly, <laughs> you know, it's hard to assess exactly what that bump was from, you know, how many people were there because of South by Southwest that then went to the tournament. But, you know, it's, an, it's clearly non-zero. 
and yeah. you know the crowds were awesome um the mm-hmm. course it's fine it had some good stuff about it it needs tuning uh but that's true of basically every first time course on tour um i don't think this is the greatest debut of all time but i also don't think it was like a disaster uh as I said on the Re- Rapid React show, Josh, I need more visual clarity um, one way or another, whether that's from the broadcast team or that's from visual elements on the course. It's sometimes hard to feel like you know what you're looking at. Uh, I'll I'll repeat a little bit what I said on the Rapid Reacts as well then, because I think that this course actually offers a lot of potential relative to other golf courses in being able to provide that visual clarity. Because I think that while it isn't as specific as a woods golf per se, the trees do actually do a nice job of framing the route, of framing how wide the hyzer has to be. Uh, and where some of those lines are going to be. I think the camera work needs to get a little bit better with the new course. I think some of the holes need to be tuned a little bit better. And those two things together mean that I really think this actually does have the appeal and, and have the opportunity to be very visually easy to follow. It reminded me in a lot of ways of the preserve um, and the way that some of those holes are framed very nicely by trees to give you some clarity on what is still a technical ball golf course the other thing that i really liked about this if and and i i kind of got this impression just from looking at the caddy book and i think it played out even more to be correct what a variety of shots that players were required to use i think this course is one of the best at requiring people to throw everything in their bag from rollers to grenades to throwing making Paige pierce and henna blomers go forehand off the tee on hole one, uh, that that is something that not every course has and is able to bring. And so, especially because the typical critique of ball golf courses is that, oh, it's just a hyzer fest. It's just throwing far. It's just about you know, one, one style of shots. I thought this one inc- offered incredible diversity. And so for me personally, I really hope it's here next year. I think a little bit of tuning and this one could jump into a, a very popular course because it has a, a lot to offer that I think makes it stand out from other courses on tour. All right, we're uh, going to have to skip purse watch for now because the uh, PDGA page is not updated and we don't have the details from the Pro Tour. So we'll get you that when we can. Um, we'll probably do that on Thursday. But let's take a look at our picks. Uh, we both scored two points this week. Josh had Calvin Heimberg on his podium. He gets a point there. He also had Missy Gannon on his podium. He gets a point there. I went with in FPO, but I got two of the three podium finishers in MPO, Calvin Heimberg and Gannon Burr. Unfortunately, I did not pick Gannon to win. So just two points for me. Josh, how did it go in the over-under department? Uh, in the over-under, I do take that one. You uh, set the line at half uh, 1.5 Lone Star players. Yeah, um, big fat zilch. Big fat zilch. Kind of a tough yeah. weekend for the Lone Star crew. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, I mean, I saw some people talking yeah. about, well, Mason Ford was the highest finisher. So Mint Discs has the highest MPO finisher uh, over this over Lone Star at their own tournament. And uh, I'm sure that's uh, making the Mint headquarters folks have a, a little smile this week. <laughs> um, Probably is. So we uh, then we have our whole 18 rankings. We're switching to a 10 star system from a five star system just to give us a little bit more ability to kind of have some nuance. Um, yeah. So out of 10 stars, Josh, what? how would you rate this whole 18? It was a fairly polarizing whole 18 uh, from the pro side. Mm. I am going to give this 
11. <laughs> I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a 6. Okay. Um I I was debating between a 6 and a 7. Like that's that's where my my feelings were. And and here's why. I don't think it's the most visually appealing whole 18. I think a lot of other whole 18s have a visual appeal to them, especially on the green that is very aesthetically pleasing. Even like Vegas, for example, that's a whole 18, an excellent whole 18 in a lot of ways uh, that like that green as well is very visually appealing. Even if it uses kind of a cart path OB and, and there could be some argument, the water on it, Waco, same thing, right? Very beautiful. Even though I don't love Waco whole 18 as a competitive side for a couple of reasons, I do really enjoy the the visual aesthetics of the water shot that you talked about. So I, I don't think there's anything pretty about this hole. And that's kind of unfortunate uh, for a finishing hole that you really do want to have that kind of aesthetics and that appeal. But I love a hole on hole 18 that can have a three stroke swing. And mm-hmm. this is one of them because birdie was absolutely attainable. We watched Nico do it in round one in the crazy windy conditions. True. And there were a handful, right? It's definitely not a lot of birdies in, on, in round one during when it was super windy. But Nico did it in the lead card. And then that number went up significantly to some 20 odd. I'm not going to sit here and count them, but 20 odd players are birdieing hole 18. But there were also plenty of bogeys, double bogeys, triple bogeys. Uh, Par still the biggest group, but overall, in terms of a whole 18 breakdown, for round three on the MPO side, it was 18% got a birdie, 41% par, 29% bogey, 12% were double or worse. Excellent numbers, I think, on the MPO side that are really what I want. I think it's a touch too long on the FPO side. So I'd probably give it a six for the MPO and maybe drop that to like a five for the FPO. Um, I I think the problem there is it just isn't tuned well enough for the FPO side. You need to shorten it up because only 6% are getting birdies. I want that number to be closer to the MPO side where it's, you know, the 12 to 15% get the birdies uh, and then still very punishing, right? I, I think that's fine. It just needs to be a touch shorter on the FPO side. So probably a six on the MPO, five on the FPO. Yeah, uh, two of the three birdies in the final rounds in FPO were from Circle 2 makes, Um Madison yeah. Walker, Raven Klein, Evelyn Salonen parked it. <laughs> Evelyn Salonen starting to look a little sharper. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, you know, for all the things we said about this course, you know, having different tee pads and basket locations for FPO, it's just still, it still feels like they're asking MPO players to give feedback on FPO layouts, and it's just not quite right, mm-hmm. folks. You need to ask the FPO players or, hey, you know, ask the, you know, ask a player who, who can throw who's 950 rated and throws 350 to 375, uh, you know, what they think about the layout. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if that's what you must do um, from like the, from the local Austin community. So just still like too many holes that weren't really tuned correctly. But I like the like narrow, tricky green. I mean, Gannon's approach shot was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, I like the just the the challenge of the hole, and there's a it was a ton of scoring separation, but it's pretty punishing. Maybe a little bit more could be done to like feel like it makes it a little bit more fair. Um, but I don't know. Like overall, I like that this was the hardest hole in the course all three rounds for MPO. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I like a hole. I like I a too. hard hole eighteen. 
I like that you know you 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 know it's not over going into eighteen. You know you don't want yeah. a, a super easy hole. Um, I like even the safe play is still kind of difficult as we've talked about. Yeah, so um, yeah. I'm gonna give it six. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna give it six and a half stars total. For MPO and FPO? I mean, I guess if I have or, to score or, them separately, which I guess we could do that, but I'm I'm thinking about it holistically. If I was scoring them separately, I would give it a seven for MPO and a five for FPO. Okay. All right. I round it up okay. to six and a half. All right. You round it up to the half, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so uh thank you so much for tuning in. We're looking forward to getting to some mail this week, so make sure you get your uh Emails in over at upshotultiworld.com. Hit us up in the Discord if you're a subscriber. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, spectator reactions to the first few Elite Series of the year. So if you have thoughts, if you went to LVC, Waco, or Austin, send us your thoughts, upshotultiworld.com. What did you think of the experience? How was it being out there? How did uh, you know? How was course management uh, with crowds and stuff? We love to hear from you. For Josh Mansfield, I'm Charlie Eisenhut saying so long, and we'll talk to you Thursday right here on The Upshot.